Voyages of Pim Better Podcast. What's up, world? Welcome back to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 15. Zeros and fives kind of feel like milestones to me, so I'm pretty proud to be at number 15. And also, this one, uh, this one might be my favorite so far. You're about to hear a conversation with Alex, who is a solo, solo traveler in a van, and she just had some really profound things to say, uh, wisdom well beyond her years. And I think it, it translates to life um, not just to traveling. And there's something that, gosh, I, I meant to ask this. I, I kind of, I don't want it to be too interviewee when I talk to people. I think it still kind of is. I'm trying to find a balance between that interview and that conversation. So I, you know, I have these notes kind of prepared if I need to refer to it, if there's ever a lull in the conversation or anything like that, which has never really happened. So, hey, kudos to you, Tim. But I wanted to ask her about, on her website, she refers to a German term that is uh, Sensucht, or or Sensucht, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, but the definition is an intense yearning for something far off and indefinable. And she says that she's German and she has this this element to her, which is kind of like a wanderlust, right? Um, Maybe wanderlust sounds cheesy. Uh, Kara, if you're out there, you made fun of me for the hashtag wanderlust. But um, I, I, I think I have this, and I think I know other people that have this. And it's kind of scary in a way that sometimes I think if I reach this thing or, or this, this type of a lifestyle that I, I have in my head right now is ideal, where I'm this, again, fanboy, but I'm this Anthony Bourdain type of figure and I'm traveling around the world and I'm going to all these cool places. Um, I'm wondering, like, even if I get to that point, am I also going to be searching for the next thing? Am I going to want to be somewhere else? Uh, it's at the risk of sounding real cheesy. It's like this this flame that's in you that can never be extinguished or it's, it's like this hunger and, and the more you feed it, the, hung, the hungrier it gets. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that, but I, I think that that sort of touches on what Alex is talking about when she says sensrisht. Uh, again, I'm probably saying that horribly wrong. Uh, recently, my dad and my stepmom were talking with me and they're going to retire soon and they are looking for a place to retire to. And my stepmom said something to the effect of like, like, how do I know if, if once I'm there, I'm not going to then want to want to be somewhere else? And I think that is kind of in line with what I'm saying. Um, but I guess, you know, you'll never know in, unless you take that plunge, which is another theme that I've constantly been talking about. If you don't take that step You'll never know. But I guess it's something scary where if you're going to, like Alex, she's going to tell you that she had her dream job and, and she left that lifestyle to, to pursue this, this new thing. And like, how do you know it's going to work? But how do you also know that once you're doing that thing that you're not going to be, that you will be content and that you're not going to want to be somewhere else? Uh, so that's something I forgot to mention to her. So Alex, if you're listening to this, <laughs> shoot me an email or something like that or... You know, maybe in a year I'll have you back on when you've had some some more amazing adventures and uh, you have some more wisdom to share. 
I have a couple of recommendations, so this is new. But um, I just finished reading the book The Sympathizer by Viet Tan Nguyen. Nguyen. Again, gosh, I can't say things. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But I'm always talking about Vietnam. Maybe I'm beating a dead horse at this point. But man, this book was amazing. Uh, it won the Pulitzer last year. And it, one of the, the notes on the book said something to the effect of like, this is the, the catch-22 of the Vietnam War which I think is probably uh, the best description of it, and it can kind of say it better than I can, but the novel talks about a lot of real things, or a lot of you know, primarily real things that are woven within this sort of uh, satirical story. And it, it takes you through some really beautifully worded uh, moments, and some really horrific things like the re-education camps that were happening in Vietnam after the war when, you know, the North won, you know, newsflash, the U.S. did not win that war. Um, and, you know, people were sort of, air quotes, re-educated by, you know, the communist North and it did some really horrific things. But it also beautifully talks about uh, race and, you know, to be... Vietnamese in America post-war, I, I think, is a, a topic that hasn't been touched on a whole lot, at least not that I'm too educated on. I have read a number of books related to Vietnam in, in my travels back and forth, but uh, this was really eloquent and beautiful and, and really heartbreaking at times, and so I recommend it. And again, that's called The Sympathizer. And then I was talking with my buddy Dan, who's been on this podcast, but recently I recommended him a podcast. I, I can't remember if I've talked about it on here or not, but I'll maybe, if I have, I'll elaborate a little bit more, but uh, Ari Shafir's Skeptic Tank. Ari Shafir is a comic. I'm, I'm sure you know who he is, uh, but he does a lot of traveling, and I believe that right now he's actually traveling by himself uh, in Southeast Asia, but he had Henry Rollins on. Uh, again, it's uh, Ari Shafir's Skeptic Tank, and the episode with Henry Rollins is called Not All Who Wander Are Lost. And man, I've listened to it three times at this point. It gives me so much inspiration. I, I first knew of Henry Rollins through, you know, being a teenager or, you know, a, a tween-ager, early teenager and listening to Black Flag. And then, of course, he, you know, he's been in a bunch of uh, things like a Sons of Anarchy has been in, or he had a show on the IFC for a while, and he has, you know, uh, it's not stand-up, I don't know, what would you call it, like a one-man show type of spoken word stories type of uh, a show that he does a whole lot all around the world. But I never really knew him as a traveler and a solo traveler, and so I won't repeat any of his stories because I will just won't do it justice, but his episode on Ari Shafir's Skeptic Tank, it's really amazing, and... Uh, he has some themes that I think are really important about how often, and we've talked about it here, but how often people think it's not safe to travel solo. And Alex will get into this just in another minute or two before this ramble ends. But how people think it's not safe to travel solo and you can do it and the world is not as scary as you think it is. And how here in America was, was when he had his scariest, those scariest moments of his life. But he also talks about like, yeah, bad things will happen to you if you're not smart and you don't have your wits about you. 
and he, he has kind of some suggestions for how to do that. Uh, I think that was primarily when he was talking about traveling in Africa, which he said is much different than traveling in a place like Southeast Asia. Uh, he also talks about like, it, I don't know if, if this is silly, but you know, keeping fit while he travels and that's something that I tried to do. Um, he's not a drinker, which I honestly like admire and love. And Ari talks to him and he says, you know, how, how do you manage to get into these social situations when you're not a drinker? And so Henry talks about that and expands on it. And I just really loved it. Uh, cause I do think like, yeah, it's like, here in America too, like social events always include alcohol. And I don't know, the older I get, like the less I want to do that. Um, and so it was just really here, cool, uh, really cool to hear him talk about how he has all these amazing encounters and conversations and he meets these amazing people. And, you know, he does that as, as a sober individual. So uh, totally recommend that. I'm going to end my rant here, but again, thank you so much. I really love doing this. Uh, please, you know, share this. If you, if you enjoy it, please share it with people. Uh, I, you know, I don't have endorsements. I, it's really hard and like, wow, woe is me, but it's really hard to keep up with the social media stuff when I work so many hours. I've talked about this before. You know, it's not like I do, I, you know, podcasting, this is what I do when I can squeeze it into all the other things that I do. And so I'm trying to keep up with it, but uh, suffice to say that it's not the strongest part of, of what I'm doing, uh, you know, social media and things like that. So if, long story short, sorry, if you could share this with people, I would love that, you know, the star ratings and the comments and the things like that I love. And I love getting emails. So th those have just started. And again, Alex talks about this, but uh, it's like, like, I don't know, it's so silly, but maybe it's like you get a little like endorphin rush when you see that, that new email from, from an unrecognizable uh, email address that says like, hey, thanks for putting out that podcast, or hey, I have a suggestion, or hey, I have feedback. I love that stuff. You know, I, I love that this has opened up an opportunity for me to meet people. You know, I'm not actually meeting everyone. Like I didn't meet Alex today, but um, I love that I'm able to have these conversations when I normally wouldn't. It's, it's opened up this access, uh, you know, to other people's lives and experiences. And if this podcast doesn't become anything else, in a selfish way, it, it's become a way for me to, you know, share stories about life and hear about some really cool things. And so I love that. Um, hopefully, too, last point, sorry, that uh, Brian, sound guy extraordinaire, the wizard, he's uh, a damn master at this stuff. Hopefully this phone conversation sounds the best. I think it will. So my new setup is a run the phone through a Bluetooth speaker and run a mic to that and then a mic to me speaking into the phone. And I think this worked the best. So hopefully when I'm done, or Brian's done helping me clean up that audio, that it sounds really good and, uh, and you enjoy it. All right, end rant. I hope you love this. I think you will. Brian, cue up the music, buddy.
right. So today I have Alex Olmke on, and you are a van lifer. Is that what you would call yourself? Yeah, I say van enthusiast. Van enthusiast, awesome. Uh, so you're the second van enthusiast then that I've had on. I had a couple from England on a couple weeks ago. But you're a little bit different in that other than traveling with your pup, you travel solo. Is that right? Yep. Uh, the pup has only been on the trip for about four months. Oh, okay. And I've been on the road for five months by myself before that. So nine months, around nine to ten months now total. Wow. All right. So you have a pretty extensive bio on your website, and the website is a girlinhervan.com. But why don't you give us maybe the cliff notes on like how this came to be? How did you become uh, a, a girl in her van? For sure. So basically, I graduated college from the University of Washington in 2012. And after college, I kind of did what all 20-somethings do. I got an unpaid internship. And I kind of went out and traveled around for a while and made my way back to Seattle with the intention of applying for graduate school, as a lot of other 20-somethings, I'm sure, would also do. So I came back to Seattle, and I got quote-unquote, my dream job. I was working as a whale biologist at the National Marine Mammal Laboratory in Seattle, Washington. And when I got that job, I really just, that was it. It was the dream job for me. I was 24 and working full-time for NOAA, and it was was a great job. It was, you know, a nine-to-five job, and a lot of it was focused around a desk work and things like that. And as the days kind of turned into months and the months started to leak into years, I started taking a really conscious look at the projection of my life and where my life was going. And when an opportunity of going back to graduate school and taking my work project and turning it into a master's came about, that was when I really decided, okay, am I going to dedicate my life to this kind of work? Because I'm going to go back to school for it. And when I started getting this, gut feeling, this kind of stomach drop every time I thought about going back to school for this project, I just realized that I needed to listen to that and that it wasn't, this path wasn't for me anymore. And I had already had the van at that point. So that kind of was where the seed of van life came. And I didn't really know how to reorganize my life without just completely stopping everything. Mm-hmm. and slowly starting again. So that's kind of what I did. I quit my job. I sold everything I owned. I was working as a yoga instructor on the side. I was selling things on Craigslist, like flipping furniture and stuff. And I moved into my van by myself. And that was last May, May of 2016. Wow. Okay, I have, geez, there's so much that I want to ask you. You started touching on something uh, just now and you also wrote about it on your website. And the thing is that like, a lot of people will say, well, how, how do you afford to do this? Um, that's not quite what I'm asking, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is that um, I guess now I'm sort of in this community of people that's involved in travel and media, and 
a lot of the time when people see these things on Instagram or on websites, they think, oh, wow, like, I, I want to live that life. I'm going to have these amazing adventures and like, money's going to start pouring in because I'm going to be popular and I'm going to have endorsements and things like that. And they don't necessarily realize, like, one, that there's a lot of work to it. Like, there's a lot of work to be the girl in her van. And two, it's not always the most comfortable lifestyle, and you have to kind of be content to live uncomfortably. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that those statements are valid? I think that you hit on a lot on a really, really important thing that a lot of people don't realize is that this wasn't a spur of the moment decision. I didn't wake up one day and just decided to quit my life without thinking about money and insurance and savings. That was, I was very methodical. I was extremely frugal when I lived in Seattle. I saved all of my money. You know, I sold everything. And so I had, and I was working a nine to five job. Like I was working not a corporate job, but a consistent schedule and making pretty good money for a 24 year old. So it wasn't that I just decided this. There was a lot of planning. And so I think that that's one thing that I really want people to know is that like there is this lifestyle is attainable, but you have to be willing to sacrifice before you even are in this lifestyle. You know, it takes planning. And then when I'm in the van, I'm living on not a lot. You know, right. It's amazing how happy you can be on a really inexpensive budget. Like I never pay for camping. I have a solar shower that I take most of my showers with. I, you know, I do eat good food. I had some people reach out to me asking about what I, what I eat. And if I'm spending, you know, $2 a day on peanut butter and jellies, like I do eat vegetables and things like that. <laughs> but, you know, in general, it's a lot more manageable financially than I think people realize. But I also think that people should really take a look at their financials, like their debt, their student loans, before they kind of hop into a car. And right. Take a, take a walk about. And then there's also just like learning all the media stuff. Um, if you're doing audio, it's learning how to do that. It's you have to write well. Like if the blogs you were doing were just, you know, uninteresting, or you know, you had poor grammar and things like that, like you wouldn't be legitimate in people's eyes. Yeah, I never really realized how much work an Instagram was. Right. <laughs> Starting because I had my personal Instagram from college, and then I started a girl in her van, kind of as half travel, half lifestyle. And then I guess like a sprinkle of van enthusiasts, you know, how right. DIY things. And the amount that that's taken off, I mean, I have right now 120 emails in my email inbox that I'm going through of people sharing their stories and really reaching out and being vulnerable. And that I try to respond to every single email I get unless they're really silly emails. And then, I, and then I'm like, I'm not responding to this. Oh, that's amazing, though. I do try really hard to recognize that people are trying to share their stories with me and that they're trying to be vulnerable. And I think that Instagram, even though it's, like, it's a social media platform where people really only represent, quote, unquote, the good or the, you know, fantasy, it is a platform for people to connect. And I really want my story and my Instagram to be for people to feel that they can reach out and that I do care and that I want to see people out on the road doing this. Right. That's awesome. Um, when, the, when your pictures are not like using a selfie stick, who, are, are you using a tripod or something? Like, who's taking those pictures? Uh, 
Okay, I get this. Okay, I'm glad you asked this because I have gotten so many questions about this recently as well. <laughs> the tripod and a GoPro. Okay. A lot of it is like me on a GoPro app with the remote, you know, like taking the photo. Okay. Or a lot of it's timers. Or uh, luckily, a lot of people on the road that I meet are also photographers. So there's a lot of sharing of media, like between. Okay. And lifers and bloggers. So I'll take photos for them. They'll take photos for me. But generally, it's all tripod. Okay, gotcha. And then while we're on, actually, sorry. Oh, no, I actually am going to do this. You're going to see this tomorrow, probably. Um, I'm going to do this series called Failed, something called like Failed Van Photos. And I'm going to start posting all of the failed photos. Like oh. I'm just running <laughs> so awkwardly trying to get into the frame. That's awesome. While we're on this topic, have it, I think the answer is yes, but have you been able to now uh, start to get like some sponsorships or some endorsements through your Instagram? I've gotten some sponsorships uh, in the sense of gear. Um, I haven't gotten any sponsorships in terms of just um, money, to be quite honest. Um, money, from what I've heard, um, when people start offering things just like a payment, uh, they can control what you write a Ooh, bit more and okay. control the content that you create. And for me, that isn't, I'd have to really trust the brand in order to kind of let them direct posts for me. And right. I don't really want to do that. But the brands that I work with that I love are just, they're van lifestyle brands. I work with Go Westy. Stanley has been a fantastic source for uh, giving me some kit cooking equipment and just general gear. And it's just been really great. The brands that I have worked with have been so supportive of the lifestyle, this van lifestyle, and they've been really supportive of my message. And I really wouldn't work with a brand if I didn't, if it didn't align with what I wanted, if it didn't align with the kind of lifestyle that I'm living or the lifestyle that I was, that I'm hoping to promote. Okay. That makes sense. So then what is it, I guess that makes Alex marketable because I think that there are a lot of people like I mean I see this on Instagram all the time there's so many people now who want to be travel bloggers or uh, you know travel writers and picture takers and things like that Um, like is there any sort of advice that you have for getting endorsements and things like that? I think that for endorsements I would just say ask Oh, okay. I didn't even have getting endorsements did not cross my mind mm. until a friend of mine told me that he had a, a friend of a friend, classic, classic story, <laughs> how he had a friend of a friend that got uh, some free fly fishing gear for a fly fishing uh, trip he went on. So I started slowly reaching out to companies and a lot of them didn't really respond. I, a lot, most of them didn't. And then just, there's just been a handful that I've worked with consistently now that are just great. But I think that just asking, like I just write an email. I kind of represent, I tell, there's a short paragraph about my story, you know, who I am. And then there's another paragraph kind of detailing the kind of content that I would be willing to create and why I'm working, reaching out to that brand specifically. Like each email is uh, detailed and tailored to that company. Okay. Blanket emails, because after having worked in a field where I get a lot of blanket emails, there's a lot of college students that would blanket email everyone at my workplace, and that gets passed around. It's really easy to see through. So I think it's really important to be thoughtful, be personable, and to 
be conscious of who you are trying to work with. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, you know, this, this podcast is new and it doesn't have a lot of listeners, but um, I, I've, I reach out to a lot of people to come on, and you know, you, you get a lot of non-responses or you get a lot of no's. But every once in a while, like like you responded, I, I think that sometimes I do the same thing. I tailor each email to that specific person, and I also think just if you're like. Um, if you're genuine in the email and you let a little bit of your personality shine through, people can pick up on that. Um, and I think following up, because I do recall that you followed up with me, mm-hmm. and because sometimes things do just get lost in the email shuffle, because that is what happened initially. All right, that makes sense too, yeah. Um, okay, so you, there's a video, I guess, a week or two ago that um, I saw on YouTube. So I, I initially reached out to you and you said, yeah, sure, I'll come on. And then um, I saw a video on YouTube that like quickly got a ton of hits, and it featured you in it. Um, and you said some things I really wanted to talk to you about that I thought were pretty profound. Uh, one of those things is uh, loneliness, and I saw that you. I also read on your blog that that you wrote about this, and you talked about how loneliness and being alone in some ways can kind of be like a blessing, right? Well, you're traveling and, and you can learn a lot from that experience. But it also seemed that from your blog that at times that loneliness while traveling can get really heavy because, I don't know, if it's like shitty weather outside and you're stuck in the van or you see something awesome and you don't have that experience to share with another human. I know you have the pup now. But um, I wonder if you would uh, kind of share your feelings on that and expand on that a little more eloquently than I could. <laughs> For sure. So when I wrote my uh, blog post entitled Lonely, that was a very rough time for me. I had been on the road for about four months at that time, and Alaska and the Yukon were exceptionally difficult because a lot of the people that were up there that are my age are seasonal workers. Mm. They're kind of in, you know, you're not really needing people. So not only was I, you know, alone, I wasn't connecting with anyone really in a fit in any kind of way. And it was very challenging for a few weeks there. And I was very raw with that experience on my Instagram and then later on my blog. And I think that that was so important for me to share that because I cannot stand or it's really frustrating for me when people just present these walkabouts or these spirit quests or these life-changing experiences and they don't talk about the kind, honestly, the shit that goes with that. Right. And it was really, really rough wanting somebody to be there, wanting to talk to someone other than, you know, texting my parents on a satellite texting device. Wow. And you're building this amazing memory, this amazing journey, and all you want to do is connect. And that's that's such a raw human emotion is the feeling of connection. And so when I was really isolated and I was alone, that was extremely challenging for me. And then that forced me to learn to be comfortable in loneliness and to be comfortable in solitude. And it was kind of a hard lesson because coming from Seattle, and I touched on this, in the YouTube a little bit, you know, our generation, it's a go, go, go. Our society is go, go, go. And we never really stop to breathe anymore. We rarely stop to recognize how our life is forming around us. And we just keep going on autopilot until all of a sudden, you know, it's three years later and you're still sitting at the same desk and you don't know how that happened. 
And so when I got forced to be alone, it was a real hit to the ego and to the spirit of the trip. And then once I kind of, I fell into it, I allowed myself to fall into it. That was when I was able to start to look around that emotion. I was like, okay, I'm alone, but what are the good things within this? How can I learn from this solitude? How can I send gratitude towards the opportunity to just sit in silence and to be alone and to try to figure out what my next step would be? And so during the blog post, that was kind of, I was the Debbie Downer event (laughs) for a long time. Like people would ask me, I was doing, I did another podcast recently, uh, sorry, a few months ago, went during that time. And, you know, people ask, you know, damn life is so great. And how do you, you know, you must just be inspired every day. And I was always just like, yeah. (laughs) For a long time, I was just like, yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's hard. Like, don't think that it's easy. Right. So (laughs) I was really the Debbie Downer of van life. And I truly believe at the end of the day that it all adds up somewhere. Like all the hard work, the exploration, the muck, I really believe that that adds up somewhere and that you're not going to be put through a tribulation. Like the universe isn't going to give you a, a tribulation without somehow there being a lesson within that. And so once I came out of that, once I honestly came down to the lower 48 and Oregon and Utah and California, and I was meeting fellow travelers, and I was connecting with other van lifers. That was really when the trip just became what I knew I wanted it to be, just connection and adventure and, you know, meeting somebody that you automatically share a vision with and just going and traveling together for a few weeks. Wow. When I was doing the YouTube and now, it's really great because now it's a little bit on the other side of that. And, of course, I still get lonely. When I was down in California a few weeks ago, I sat in a parking lot next to the beach and just cried and was just, you know, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, wow. Cause it gets old. It gets old. Like looking for a parking lot to sleep in. It gets old trying to sit in a Starbucks for five hours a day to work on your blog, you know? So there's a lot of emotions that go into van life. And I think that leaning in the beauty of solitude is one of them. And if you can, accept that and not let it overwhelm you or encapsulate you, I think that you'll start to find the joy that the silence of the road can give you. Hell yeah. Wow. You should write. (laughs) I'm long-winded. I'm a rambler. No, no, that was, that was, that was really beautiful. Like, um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask one more, I guess, like heavier, deep thing, and then I'll get back to the fun stuff. But also in that YouTube video, you talked about how, I guess like 20-somethings or I guess just everyone sort of caught in the, in the nine to five, you know, sort of life that's expected of you, um, they, they numb themselves. And I think you referred to like, you know, alcohol where like coming home from work and having a drink and then watching a show and like those things help you to escape from the fact that you have to wake up in seven hours and repeat that whole process. Um, I guess I'm not asking anything in particular, but that just sort of struck a chord with me because um, I just think that's so accurate. Like I, I've thought about that recently with the fact that, like I just said, like I, I've known coworkers to, hey, let's go out after work and let's get a drink or let's let's throw in the tube when you get home. And um, 
instead of like, and maybe I'm kind of going on a tangent, like when uh, one place that I've uh, talked about a lot is uh, Southeast Asia. And when you're in Southeast Asia and you drink, it's like it's a real social event. Like you don't go out and you drink by yourself, you invite all your friends and you have dinner and you drink and, and you have a great time together. Um, but I just thought that was so profound. And I guess like you, uh, with the loneliness thing again, when you strip away the things that numb you, you're, you're open to exploration and uh, introversion and, and learning about yourself and learning about the world and things like that. So I thought that was uh, really cool that you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, it's really scary when you take when you take the social and other stimulations away. Yeah. I think that it overwhelms a lot of people and I think I know I I would get really overwhelmed in this when I was working in the city and you know, I would have a free weekend and I wouldn't have anyone to hang out with and I would be like, Where are my friends? Right, yeah. Why am I why am I gonna die alone? Oh, no. And so you know, we find value not only in our work, but we also find value in our social life. And, you know, it's, it's, a, pop, it's a popularity thing. It's like it goes back to high school, you know? It's like the more friends you have, the busier you are, the more you're liked kind of a thing. Right. And so I think that staying that busy, it's, it's an inadvertent numbing. And I don't think you realize it until you're alone sitting on the Denali Highway with no service for five days reading <laughs> a book. And you're like, what am I, where are my friends? So uh, let me get to that then, because we've, uh, you're talking about Alaska and we've been talking, kind of weaving through some of the places you've been. So why don't you um, talk a bit about where you've been with the van so far, like where you are now and where you're headed? So I started off, I'm from Washington, Leavenworth, what, what, <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and I left May 6th and I took the inside passage from Bellingham, Washington up to Juneau. And then from Juneau, I was in Sitka for a few days and then I went to Haines, Alaska, and then I drove all around Alaska until September, my gosh, was that early September? Must have been, I think. No, it was August. There it is. End of July, August. Okay, sorry. That was, I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> um, so I will re-say that because that was very wordy for a second. Uh, so no, I no. traveled uh, from Haines all around Alaska until the end of August. And then from August, I started to travel further east into the Yukon. And then I was in the Yukon and then British Columbia and Calgary for a few more weeks, I believe a month and a half, maybe a little bit longer. And then I came down back through Washington and then went down to Bend and went to this fantastic van meetup called the Send on Bend. Oh, whoa. I recommend it for, yeah, it was great. I think there was something like 280 vans there. Oh, so cool. And it's VW focused, but there was tons of sprinters and there were tons of campers. And it's just a great event for people that want to live this kind of lifestyle. So I went to Descend on Bend, and then after that, I went to Utah. And then I was in Utah for a few weeks, then Southern California, and then I was in California until the end of December. And then I came back up to Washington. I flew pretty much straight from California back up to Washington for the holidays. And so it's the mid 
middle of January right now, and I'm still in Washington, just taking a second to like ground for a second and get some repairs done on the van and enjoy some time with the friends and family. And then on January 31st, I'm headed back out on the road to go on a ski vacation. So I will be gone until the beginning of, I'm planning on doing it until the beginning of March. Yep. Very cool. Ski vacation to Whistler, Revelstoke, and Whitefish. So it's going to be, it's going to be a good time. So that's the next kind of leg of this trip. And then how long, how long do you want to do this? Or are you just not putting any sort of limits on it? I am currently applying for jobs for the summer. Okay. Uh, It's it's happening. It's happening. (laughs) It has to work. Van life, you know, it's all, I'm not a photographer. I'm not a blogger, you know, a paid blogger. Right. For me to live full time on the road is not feasible. And that's basically what I thought. I was like, you know, I've got about a year that I can stretch this out. And now it's going to be a year and a month. No, it's going to be eight. A little bit. It's a bad idea. So I'm applying for jobs up in Alaska to go work up there for the summer season and uh, live in the van. So the van dream will still be alive. Oh, okay. So I'm planning on moving up there with the van and living out of the van and working for a few months. Okay, cool. So I think you've you've cleared up a lot of things, and like I don't want to give a platform to uh, like trolls or anything, but I was when I was watching your video, like it's amazing that. Even with something inspirational, people will find a, a, a way to be awful. And someone wrote a comment like, "Oh yeah, like most people would love to do this, but you know, she, I'm sure she's got her parents' money to fall back on and stuff like that." And which is, is stupid and shitty to say. And it's like, yeah, sure. If you know, if you're living on social welfare and like you're in massive debt and things like that, this is probably not the thing that you should do right now. Um, but it, it's cool to hear how honest you're being about like how realistic you need to be in terms of the finances of, of living this type of a life. Yeah. First off, I read those comments too. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why YouTube, YouTube comments are a lot meaner than Instagram. I don't know why that is. It's crazy. And um, I, luckily, I thought that those comments were going to affect me a lot more than they did initially because I think it's because I've been so honest with my story and I mean I put like I put a budget out of what my life was so I've been if I feel like very transparent about my finances more so than I thought I was ever going to be because I kept getting that question um and I think sorry I lost my train of thought that's okay this is very articulate of me I mean well what I was going to say is like I feel like it's uh, it's like jealousy. It's 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 people see somebody doing something they're either afraid to do or they think they can't do, and it's like, all right, let me tear that down instead of think like, how can I change my own situation and and make that happen for myself as well. Um, and that's what I was trying to say with like, if you have debt or you have loans, like this isn't the lifestyle for you. And right. Fine. There's other ways I think to fulfill yourself in a wanderlust sense without buying a van, quitting your job. When I was in Seattle, sometimes me and my best friends, we would go on a weeknight and we would just throw some tents in the back of a car and we would just go drive 30 minutes. This is in Seattle, so obviously it's different in Los Angeles and things like that. We would do these kind of weeknight or weekend warrior expeditions just to get out of the city, get out of town, you know, urban adventures. There's ways to fulfill this kind of lifestyle without going to an extreme length or putting yourself in financial jeopardy. Exactly. Um, 
Oh, and sorry, I do remember what I want to say. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've found is that a lot of people I've met on the road do finance themselves full time. I met a couple who they're both graphic designers and illustrators, and they work a nine to five pretty much on the road. Wow. They have their own struggles because they have a lot of struggles with internet and having to be in certain cities in order to get consistent, you know, internet to work. And then I've met people that they shoot lifestyle videos for outdoor companies. And there's ways, if you can find a a teleworking job or if you're in some kind of creative industry, I've been amazed at how many people I've met that are still working full-time and they're just teleworking. Hmm. Yeah, that would be ideal. Um, it was hard. When I saw that couple, though, I thought that that's another side to it, though, that would be really difficult. Like, they live out of their van full time, but then they go and they sit at a Starbucks for eight hours a day to go on conference calls. And they said that's really, really challenging as well. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I keep referencing that, that video I watched, but you talked about how you wanted to kind of uh, tear down the notion that people think that, like, traveling solo as a woman is. Uh, not safe, and you talked about like some some uh, safety tips and things like that that you do, um, where you try to remain visible in the van and things like that, and you have your knife with you. I'm wondering if you've come across any like hairy or dangerous situations, either where you were nervous because of a human, or if there was like a van breakdown issue, or or nature reared its ugly head, or anything like that. I have been pretty pretty lucky. I will say that uh, within my trip that I haven't had a a very big terror story or a big breakdown story. I did have my van get broken into, but that was because of my own stupidity. And this is the first time I've actually ever talked about it on a public platform. Exclusive. I left my van unlocked because I'm really used to leaving the van unlocked when I have the dog because I worry if there was something that somebody would have to let her out of the car. Okay. You know, if there was... I don't know. I'm just, I worry. I don't like, I like her to have the option a lot of times to have somebody like let her out just in case. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I got into this bad habit and I got really distracted one night and I went into a friend's house and left my car unlocked. My dog wasn't in the car and came out and they had just grabbed everything out of the front seat and just ran. Wow. That was really, that was really devastating because that was my own stupidity and that was really I still I don't even know if I want to have this in I need to t- share it because but it's hard because it's just a hit to my own ego on this did you get a computer um, or anything they took my passport they took oh. my camera they took my purse they took the mess up thing they took was they took my Malabies and my little Ganesh statue that I had on my back <laughs> so that's, that's ridiculous on top of bad karma right. <laughs> but, um I think that the biggest thing for me with being safe as a woman is you just have to be vigilant, you know? Don't go park in the sketchy neighborhoods. Don't let everybody see that you're alone, you know? Cover up cover up your blinds. I have this kind of sheet that blocks off the back from the front. And trust your gut. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. And I think that if something bad were to happen and the only reason that you didn't move your car was because of some social definition of you being irrational, that would be the dumbest reason for something bad to happen. Because you have to trust your gut, you have to listen to your instincts, 
drive the extra five minutes, find a good camp spot, you know, be smart. I carry bear, uh, bear spray and I have a big hunting knife that my dad gave me that I sleep next, next to my bed every night. And I mean, I have had a lot of nights where I've woken up and just like peeped out the windows because I was scared of the people that were camped around me Wow. and stuff like that. So, and I've moved my van, you know, one in the morning, something fell off. So I got up and I moved it, you know? Wow. Um, on the flip side of that, I mean, favorites is real hard, but can you think of uh, a moment or an event or something that you'll never forget, a memorable, something that was super memorable um, of an experience that you've had when you were traveling in the van? Good or bad? Uh, good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, was like, I was like, I got both. <laughs> I think that um, there was a moment when I was driving down off this highway, it's called the Cassier Highway. It comes through the western coast of British Columbia in Canada. And there's this little offshoot that you can drive to, this town called Stewart and Hyder. And as you kind of go this offshoot off this highway towards these other towns, it's just glacier after glacier just coming at you. And there's not a lot of people there. A lot of people don't seem to go to this because it's a very kind of end of the road town. And I remember this was about, I don't know, fourth, fifth, fourth or fifth month I was on the road. And it was just one of those moments when I rolled the windows down and my hair was kind of flying everywhere and the perfect song came on. And I just, those moments like when I looked around and I was like, this is my life. And I built this. I brought myself here. I was strong enough for me. And that feeling of that I was strong enough for myself, that I was my own partner, was the most empowering feeling. And it was a moment of just, I knew that this was exactly where I was supposed to be at exactly that moment. And I think that those moments kind of hit you throughout your life where you just know that this, this is your life. And it, it's perfect in that moment, you know, and something will happen in a week or a month and that moment will seem irrelevant. Right. I think to listen to those times when you just look, look around and you just say, how did I build this? And it's a beautiful, beautiful feeling. I love that. I, I've mentioned this before in a, in a previous episode, but when uh, I've been to Saigon a couple times and like my most memorable moment was when I was in a park at night and there was a college student, uh, obviously Vietnamese, and she was learning German and I can speak like conversational German, not super well, but we had a conversation in the park in German and like me, this, you know, Western American. And like, if you talk to, if you talk to people and they want to hear these crazy stories. Like, what are, what are the wild things you saw? And my favorite thing is just like this really simple, beautiful moment that I shared with another person. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, obviously you weren't with another person, but I, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, just the other day, I was finally starting to sift through some of my emails, and it was kind of later at night, and I started crying. Wow. Based on these emails I was getting, because... The stories people were sharing with me, just this complete bid 
for connection and to be seen and to be heard. It was so powerful for me. And I was honored. I was absolutely honored and blown away by people being willing to share such personal details of their lives with me. And I think that that, it wasn't even that it was a moment that was, I was driving and it was epic. It was like, right, exactly. Sitting, sitting on my couch, like at my parents' house, like dipping through some emails. And I was like, man, that's what it's all about. It's like, that's what this is all about is, is honestly connection and sharing stories and creating something beautiful together. I love that. Um, just because you brought it up, I have to ask then about uh, a negative memorable moment. <laughs> negative memorable moment. Um, it's honest, okay, it sounds bad, but it's like some of them are really small. You know what I mean? Yeah. I already mentioned c- kind of crying in this parking lot right. a few weeks ago. Um, I think that I guess a negative moment was there was a few, one night in particular where I was in a campground. I actually threw down the $15 because I was feeling really isolated. And so I kind of got this idea. I was like, okay, well, if I go to a campground, just like a state campground, there'll be a lot of people there, like with their dogs and RVers and kids. So that'll probably be an, a good way to meet people and to, and to start conversation and things like that. And I, you know, I went to this campground and I checked in and I posted up in my spot and I sat there and I walked around to walk the dog a little bit. And I was so ready to just literally talk to a human being. I just, well, I just wanted to talk to anyone. And I tried talking to a few people and just nothing. And I just remember sitting at this picnic table, just kind of staring down at my journal and seeing all these people around me having fun and talking and creating memories, and I was just sitting there by myself. Wow, that's heavy. And definitely really, it was just a a real moment of just feeling kind of like another moment of what am I doing? I had this life with people I loved, and I left all of that to sit here. Wow. Um. There's a lot of like small moments like that. But I just remember the campground, sitting alone in the campground with one where it just kind of like really just hit me like a brick wall. That was making me think when you were talking about campsites, like ha- have you ever been in a situation where uh, you're not at a campsite or a campsite's far away? Or, like are there other places you're allowed to uh, park the van and sleep in it or are you going to get chased off by cops or how does that work? In Alaska, it wasn't a problem because Alaska is basically one big you know, forest service land. Okay. <laughs> uh, last guy didn't really have a lot of problems. Uh, I would just kind of go down forest service roads and find like a good pull out and pull out on those. Um, a lot of, and, and then I kept hearing when I started coming down to the lower 48 BLM land, which is Bureau of Land Management land. It's oh, okay. Free open camping land for anyone. And you'll hear about that a lot. And then there's that web, there's website, free campsites, net or something like that, where people will post trailheads where they've slept and it's been fine, you know, 
I have spent a night in the Fred Myers parking lot, and it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, I was also a little bit hungover from going to a brewery the night before. Awesome. <laughs> Fred's was a great choice, not only for safety, but because I got to go get, like, the best food whenever I wanted, and I rented all these, like, dollar DVDs and had, like, a chill day in the van. <laughs> it's actually really fun. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I'd say... Forest service lands, trailheads are a big one for me. I'm always like looking up local trails. Community parks are kind of okay. Residential areas, I wouldn't recommend. I did get chased out of a residential residential area once or twice, which is nothing is more jarring than being dead asleep and having a red and blue light siren coming at you and um and that kind of stuff. But generally I find that if you're just like kind of out of the way, you're quiet, you're private, most people won't ever bother you. At least I've had been lucky like that. Okay. Um, all right. That's so, a rambly answer. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's cool. Um, so then I'm wondering, like, do you have, I mean, you've, you've said a lot, but it, do you have any, you know, any final thoughts or, or, or any wisdom from the road that, um, you want to put out into the world or, or have we covered all our bases? I think that the road is really alluring. And I think that a lot of people are kind of turning back to the road for answers. And I think that before you ask for an answer, you need to know the question that you're looking for. And I found a lot of frustration from fellow travelers and friends and even within myself, you know, when they go on these big trips and the answers seem to elude them. And I think that knowing what you are wanting the universe to answer for you, being realistic about your needs, I think that if you're an extremely social person that finds a lot of value with connecting with friends and family or you're very, very close with your family, being on the road can be really difficult and that kind of solitude could be very challenging and just knowing kind of your needs like that and the road is not for everyone. I mean, this lifestyle, it's a pretty extreme alternative to kind of what we all grew up with thinking was normal. And so I think that just realizing that it's definitely a different lifestyle. It's a beautiful lifestyle. I think that everybody should live with less or at least the downsides once or twice in their life because you'll really find it's all just stuff. Wow. And... Yeah, it's all just dust. And so I think that that's kind of my, my bid for the road is that the road will give you the answers if you know the questions. And it will be the best and the hardest and the harshest teacher you will ever have. But it will be the one that you learn the most from. Wow. Well, listen, um, I think that... Um, your perspective on this, on on van travel and on travel in general and in solo travel, is really grounded and realistic. So, uh, thanks for sharing your message with me and with the people that are listening to this. Uh, I feel really this is this will be episode number fifteen, and uh, I don't come from media. I just I was never really able to afford traveling until the last couple of years. And now I'm trying to make up for lost time. And I, I've done so many cool things, but in the two, two and a half months that I've been doing this, I've been, have, been able to have these amazing conversations with people that I otherwise never would have had. And um, I really love your message. And I think that 
you you have a lot to offer to people in terms of you know the wisdom that you've learned it, it's still such a young age so uh i just want to thank you for coming on and uh the the website's a girl in her van the instagram is a girl in her van they can also put that into uh youtube and get that video i referenced um so alex uh thanks so much for coming on i love this thank you so much for having me this is so great all right cool 